Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story, enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Audrey Forgeron and David Carpenter with us. And they are international teachers, and they are working on a podcast where they will um, help to promote international teaching. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about that uh, later in our interview. So welcome, Audrey and David. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes, I'm psyched to, to chat with you and hear more about your podcast. Thank you so much. So my first question I always ask um, my guests is that what inspired you to first get into education? So I don't know if uh, Audrey or David, you want to um, kind of get into that first and then we can kind of go back and forth. Uh, well, for me, my whole family's in education. I have an uncle who was a superintendent. My mom was a nursery school teacher. I have another uncle who was a, a university professor. Just it goes pretty deep in my family. So uh, it seemed like a pretty natural fit. And then I always liked working with kids, you know, as a babysitter, camp counselor, all those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, I got joy from just being around kids and guiding them, I guess. That's wonderful. How about you, David? So I, I follow that same line, a lot of educators in my family and a lot of joy as a teenager, as a babysitter for my nephews and nieces. And it was funny, people would say, David, you're really good with children and dogs. So that was an interesting <laughs> combination that they seem to like you. Uh, and then later uh, in life, uh, towards college, I really had the wonderlust to see the world. Mm. And I'm always a person like so many educators. I love to learn. So I said, you know, let's stick with this schooling thing and just switch roles and let me be the teacher. So that was my pathway. That's awesome. I actually don't have educators in my family, but um, my mom was a nurse who worked with children and my dad was a social worker who worked in children and youth. So they were always promoting both of their careers for me. Like my dad's like, you should be a social worker. My mom's like, you should be a nurse. I'm like, both of your jobs are so heavy. And like, mm -hmm. I'm an emotional person. Like, I don't think I could handle that day in and day out wonderful what you're doing, but I think I'm going to do the education track because I also wanted to work with kids. Um, mm. So that's kind of how I came to it as well. So what was kind of your, I don't know if your early teaching experiences was like abroad in international teaching, or did you teach first in America? Or you want to talk a little bit about those early teaching experiences? Um, David, if you want to start, we'll go back and forth. Sure. So I started in the U.S. in Virginia I, and, and that's as we talk a little bit more about Audrey and my podcast to become an international educator, you really do need to get some experience before you go overseas. So I did teach some in the US. I was a history teacher and loved it. Um, but throughout the process, I, I just kept going, how can I get overseas? One reason from the get go was I, I just wanted to learn about other cultures 
And then the other part of it was I, I realized that it would be very difficult uh, financially for me to stay, stay being a teacher, make enough money to uh, support a family. And that kind of pushed me to go overseas as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about the financial side of becoming an international educator. It's not, not wherever you go, it's going to be fantastic. But one of the big takeaways is you're not taxed as an international U.S. international educator. So that really helps out. How about you, Audrey? Uh, so for me, I was I uh, went to Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Woo woo, shout out. <laughs> and um, the placement officer at our school was big into the whole international teaching scene. And so he uh, he actually created a job fair, you know, 35 years ago or something like that and uh, brought in a bunch of schools and all the teaching candidates came to the fair which is a model that has continued to this day and it's it's a great model it's so exciting because you're in this at the time it was a gym at the school and there were 35 schools or so from kind of from you know a to z so you were his schools were primarily south american and african but it was just so so exciting to know that you could uh you know determine kind of your fate for at least the next year or two just in the in the span of a weekend and uh, so that's kind of how mine started out i decided to teach a couple of years like david you know it, at the time anyways it was important to get a couple of years of experience under your belt and i just wasn't ready to go to a whole new country potentially not speak the language oh and by the way i've never taught before so for me it just felt prudent <laughs> to take a couple mm -hmm. years so i ended up teaching at my old high school which was another mm -hmm. whole strange thing but uh it was kind of fun to be you know colleagues with my former teachers and um i had some some wonderful uh, colleagues in my i was in the social studies department and and uh two years in i decided that was the time to make my move because otherwise you know, you get tied down, like I, I might have a, a, buy a house or have, you know, significant investments and no, no longer feel ready to leave. Cause it's not, you don't just, you know, pick up stakes and, and go overseas at the drop of a hat. So, uh, you know, that's when I thought, okay, it's time. So that was my story. Yeah. And I agree with both of you about getting the experience first before going abroad. I couldn't imagine being like 21, 22 years old and not ever teaching and being like, I'm going to go, you know, to a, a country in Africa or South America. Um, and I only, and I shared this with you before, I only taught in China for a summer. So that's kind of the extent of my international teaching, but mm -hmm. similar path. I taught at a local high school in the area where I grew up in Pennsylvania um, I got a long-term sub position and then we had recruiters from Hawaii come to my college. I love that you had these, you know, um, schools from around the world at your college and you were able to like already have kind of access to, oh, this is, you know, the different programs and what you can get in, in, involved with. I would love to see that at all mm -hmm. schools that have education programs, but um, I did like a year and a half. Of Pennsylvania and even though Hawaii is in the United States it was very very different very far away oh I'm totally jelly that you got to go teach in Hawaii <laughs> <laughs> but if I did that right after college with like no teaching experience I think it would have been much more challenging I mean it was still mm -hmm. the first year was pretty hard um yep so yeah I totally can relate to that so do you want to talk a little bit about the different places that you have taught around the world and then we can kind of also get into 
my question later about like just teaching in the pandemic and kind of where you were. So I don't know, Audrey, if you want to start. Yeah, sure. So uh, my first post was in Ethiopia and my family freaked out because it's like, <laughs> did you know there's a war on there? Mm. Did you know there's a famine on there? And, you know, I said, yeah, but it seems like the school is kind of separated out from that a little bit. Like the head of school was talking about, oh, yeah, that's true, but no problem. You know, I, I'm there with my wife and, you know, I feel confident. And ironically, by the time I got there, he was no longer there. <laughs> but that's a different story. He was let go. But um, so I started off in Ethiopia and I met this guy there that ended up getting married too. And, you know, my original plan was to go overseas for a year. Uh, but <laughs> met, a, met a guy who wanted to also teach and travel. And so we uh, did my two-year contract in Ethiopia, which was his third year. My second year was his third year. And then uh, actually the head of the school in Ethiopia said, um, where are you guys going to recruit to? And at the time there was no internet. So there we had this book of schools and sort of like what the benefits were and stuff like that. And you kind of look through the book and you really have no clue <laughs> what you're doing, but we're looking at, you know, benefits and try to get a rough idea of what the size of the school and, you know, the clientele and things. And um, uh, we picked out uh, some schools and um, the, the head of school said, you know, I'm happy to write letters for you. So what are your top three? And we told him and he said, well, what about Saudi Arabia? And we said, are you kidding me? Why would I, why would I go there? It's so restrictive and everything. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, the school is fantastic. I know the head personally, he's a great guy. Um, they have a lot of excellent benefits. So for example, here, here we, here we go. You know, there's no, you don't pay any, or at least at the time you don't pay any taxes there. And of course you don't pay any overseas, like David already said, if you're an American and um, they give you a house, they give you a car. They pay all your utilities and you make an excellent salary. There's daycare right at the school. The um, medical situation is second to none because the Saudis have a lot of money. And so they can get, you know, they can hire fantastic doctors and, and, and everything. And it was, it was an amazing situation. So, you know, we ended up actually decide, you know, getting, getting a job there. And again, the idea was like, oh, you know, we'll be here three to five years. Ten years later, wow. we had had uh, both our kids there. Wow. And, you know, it was a fantastic experience, honestly. And um, that's where I met David and his family. So, uh, you know, we taught together for a few years. David was the counselor at the time uh, and a good guy to work with, as always. So uh, and then it, when it, we hit my my daughter was just finished uh, kindergarten and was going to start uh, uh, grade one. And so, you know, I knew she was going to be school full time. My son was going to be in third grade. So that seemed like the good time to go back to the States because I was working on a master's uh, with a concentration in technology. I wanted to be a technology integrationist or coach. Um, and so that seemed like a good time to go back because if I, I, I had to finish my degree in the States because you had to do your, what they call the capstone project. Um, and you had to work with a local school. So I wanted to finish that in the in, in the States. Um, and so we left. And then after a year of being in the States and finishing my master's, that's when we ended up going to Singapore. Um, and we had nine great years there uh, because initially, again, we sort of thought, oh, we'll stay for just a few years. But when you have kids, 
at least from our perspective, you don't want to pick up and move mm. too many times because, you know, we chose this lifestyle, but it wasn't really their choice. And so we thought it's more, you know, it's easier for them if we stay in one place. So we ended up staying in Singapore for nine years. Our son graduated from there. And then we talked to our daughter who was going to be heading into uh, grade 11. And we said, what are you, what are you feeling? You want to stay here and graduate here? Or do you want to try something different? She's like, I want to try something different. How about South America? And we were like, well, we'll try, but we don't <laughs> necessarily have that much control. Um, so anyway, we ended up in Chile, which I loved. It was so mm. cool being in the Andes and, you know, having, it really did your head in because the, the seasons were opposite mm. to what we're used to in North America. So it's fall in April, <laughs> for example. Anyway, so uh, we were there for three years, loved it there. Then we moved to, because now our daughter graduated. So then we were free and easy. <laughs> so we moved to Senegal after that. And that was mainly because we knew the head of school there. So we ended up uh, working there and I taught film there, which was a bit crazy because I didn't really have the background in it, but um, I had the tech background. So there was that um, for three years I was there. And then we moved to Rome um, and taught for a couple of years there in Italy. And now we're in Jamaica and um, I am actually not teaching. I'm just working on this podcast. I'm um, I'm studying to become a life coach and in loving it, loving everything that I'm doing right now. And yeah, it's been a really great run for us and a good lifestyle. How about you, David? <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I'm in the double digits for school, so it, it would take too long to try to cover all of them. So maybe I, I'll frame them in a, you know, the way you can go to different types of schools. So you, um, like Saudi Arabia, going way back, if any of you all remember the, the book and the movie called The Firm, mm. where Tom Cruise gets the offer and he's just going, this is incredible. There's just no way this can be true. And of course, it wasn't true. There were some bad dealings going on with a law firm that was hiring him. Well, for Saudi Arabian, it there was no catch. It was truly one of the best schools I've ever worked at. The professional development, the, the high standards of the teachers, the leadership. So it really was a very special place and a very community-oriented place. And that's one of the great things about a lot of international schools is you build a natural community around the mm -hmm. school. And one are your fellow educators, but two are the parents because... Well, it used to be a long time ago. Most of them would be expatriates. That's changed now. More and more, it's the middle and upper classes, the local uh, well-to-do who want their children to have a Canadian or U.S.-based um, education so that they can go to an English-speaking university, whether in Australia, Europe, or uh, North America. Uh, so that's one of the big strengths. And so in general, there are some big kind of we call them powerhouse schools a lot of them are in asia that are very well known uh, where audrey and mark the one in singapore is just a very well-known one and a lot of people go there great benefits um, wonderful clientele so i've worked at a few of those uh, one in hong kong one in uh, type uh, taipei um, and then i've also worked in some smaller schools which can be super community-based um, because they're just smaller and they can be in places that are a little bit more on the edge. Um, for example, Audrey and Mark working in Senegal. So I did work in Morocco, which is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And I'm a photographer. So the great thing there is just going out in the beautiful light and uh, 
the, the nature and the, the coastline and also places like Panama to, to really learn another language. Uh, and then on one of the things that makes them so powerful on the, on the weekends and so much fun is if you have children on Saturdays, you come to the school to do t-ball, soccer, um, and some schools have parent programs. So that community uh, orientation is it's just really wonderful. So I'm kind of going back to the very start, probably the the most interesting thing in my career is where I started. So I started in Israel in 1990, and it turned out that was the uh, year of the Gulf War. Mm -hmm. So I had a very uh, great roommate. He's still out there, Brian. And he, uh, he, I think he's in the Dominican Republic now, but we, uh, every night when the uh, sirens would go off as the missiles would come in, we would go into one of our rooms that was sealed off with plastic to keep any air coming in. And we put on our gas mask wow. out of fear that uh, Saddam Hussein was sending uh, not uh, explosive bombs or missiles, but ones that uh, were going to release gas. So that was quite an eye opener. Uh, and that was a very tight community there. But it's been a wonderful ride. I'm also not working at the moment, contemplating whether I will go back or not. Uh, and once we start talking about our podcast, we'll, we'll share even more about what, what a wonderful life it can be raising children overseas and teaching overseas. Wow, thank you both so much. Um, just sitting here in awe of all of your journeys. I've always been um, just a globally minded person. I, I'm also in social studies and um, have the travel bug, if you will. And I, you know, wish I kind of took those opportunities when I was younger, because you're right, when Audrey was saying, like, once you get married, you get a house, if you're just positioned in, you know, where you grew up or in the same area, it kind of makes things challenging. But um, I think there's so many benefits. Like, I am so appreciative that you're both on the show today, because I think, especially in the time of the pandemic, and that's kind of like my next part, and then we'll get into your, your work at the podcast. I think everyone's seeing the holes in the education system, particularly here in America. And this is such an opportunity for teachers who like, I don't want to leave the profession, but it's really hard for me to maybe do it in this system or where I'm located in America. I'm not saying all schools in America are as challenging as some, but that they could have this opportunity to have full benefits, right? Have a home paid for. And I've heard this from other teachers I've had on the show. I've had multiple teachers um, who are, you know, taught in many countries and they say the same thing. It's, you know, mm -hmm. you have your um, rent taken care of, you have a decent salary, you have healthcare taken care of, you're not taxed, all of these benefits. And so for anyone who has that ability to be able to move, like, I think that can keep a lot of teachers in the profession and mm -hmm. be able to just have a great lifestyle with it and see it in a different way. Because if you're only seeing it from the American lens, you know, it's just very narrow because it can be very different across the world. So I think what you're both doing and sharing is amazing. And so kind of like, because I use this, even though you're both kind of not in the teaching um, work now, and I don't know if you were in 2020, but anything you want to share about just the pandemic itself and how that's like either impacted your life or impacted what you've seen in education or also been this time to kind of see other opportunities. Um, so I don't know if David, you want to start? Well, yeah, for sure. And I, I think I'll hit on a couple of themes. Um, 
So the pandemic was not the first one that I experienced or my family experienced. We were in Hong Kong mm. during SARS, um, and I was an instructional technologist at that time and at a, one of the big powerhouse schools that had a lot of technology and infrastructure. And I remember when SARS broke out, we were over, we were on the, on the island of Hong Kong, but it broke, uh, came out in Kowloon in one of, the, um, one of the big apartment buildings. And it was very, very scary. Uh, and very quickly, the, they were able to determine that the death rate would be very high. Mm. So the school uh, very quickly was ready to shut down. And I, I was in the upper primary. We were such a big school, we divided the elementary. And I walked into the principal's office and I, I said, his name is Bruce. I said, Bruce, we don't have to shut down. And I think that we wouldn't be serving our community. People are going to be huddled together in their apartments. They're going to be scared and they're, and they're going to lose their sense of community. So why don't we do a virtual school? And he said, hey, well, can we do that? And I said, let's form a team and do it. And then he went back to the other administrators and the whole school said, yeah, we're going to do virtual school. So that disruption was very positive on the technology side. It really led a lot of teachers to kind of go, hey, I can do this technology thing. Um, Audrey and I are, are in the change business as instructional technologists. And a lot of times it's difficult to get people to move out of their comfort zone, especially mm -hmm. with technology. So that really shook up my school in a very positive way uh, and got people on board. And we... Uh, uh, ended up writing an article about it. And the number one takeaway wasn't the technology. It was the community building. Mm -hmm. And we got so many reports from families because we were, we were using every technology that we could from phones to faxes to, of course, the internet to connect the students to each other, uh, that they were learning, but they really were uh, communicating with each other. So that was a big takeaway, that building of community and supporting the social and emotional uh, needs of the students. So jumping forward to <clears throat> during the pandemic, I was in Vietnam and then working as a counselor slash wellness coach. Uh, and my school did a fantastic job. It really was a literal, they, they took 24 hours, we took 24 hours, we flipped the switch and we went virtual. And one of the takeaways there was our school was very advanced technologically, could do a lot through a lot of different uh, tech, technical tools. But in the end, in the elementary where I was, the, the parents wanted paper. Uh, it was just too much to handle multiple learning modules and too much online learning. So we ended up doing a lot of paper printing, but they would get their communication through the, through the internet and seesaw and different portfolios, uh, tools like that. So that, that also was just a repeat of what happened back in 2004 and 2005 to build community, to connect people through technology. Um, and at that point, I think when it comes to technology use, so many of our teachers were already fluent and were ready because they had been using the technology as part of their teaching. Um, but I think in many other parts of the world, whether people just schools just didn't have the money for the technology or, or they just didn't have the programs, the PD to help teachers get up to snuff in, in using learning management systems, the Google suite, whatever they might be using, that disruption had to, you know, it pushed a lot of people to say, I have to do this now. So 
It might not seem like a positive, but it really has moved us forward in how we use technology. And maybe my, my closing point here is, I'm, as much as I'm a technologist, I, I, I have a lot of worries about technology mm. in the lives of students' lives. And we know it, it can't take the place or begin to take the place of face-to-face -face learning. Thank you so much. How about you, Audrey? Well, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what, what David's been talking about, about that sense of community and how technology connects us, but we do have to be wary uh, that it definitely can't take the place of face-to-face. -face. What happened to me, I, I was not uh, teaching full-time, but I had taken a leap of faith and agreed to substitute uh, at, at the school in Rome. And uh, of course, Italy was one of the, mm. the the first kind of places that you heard about with the pandemic. However, it was mostly in Milan, and um, you know, and by the time, at least our school in Rome um, adapted pretty quickly and 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 did flip to virtual school, uh, and every kid had a laptop and all of that kind of thing. But it was tough on me personally, just because I had. Um, agreed to take this substituting position and I was teaching design technology. So you can imagine mm -hmm. it involves sawing and uh, drilling and sawing and uh, there was a 3D printer and uh, you know, we did a lot of design and that was, it was, it was cool and fun, but it was stressful for me because it was a lot for me to learn as well. Uh, but then when we went virtual the way the school chose to do it was you were still doing all your classes at the same time as they had been, except you were doing them over, you know, Google, Google meet was our platform. Um, so, you know, we were still in school the whole day. And personally, I found it exhausting mm -hmm. to be sitting on a computer all day long. And maybe your experience, Jackie was similar, but um, you know, I, I being the, particularly because I was the sub, I was trying to be, you know, kind of extra hold the kids accountable because you know how it was like some kids would turn, turn their video off and then, you know, they would leave the room and things like that. So I'd be calling on them and reminding them to turn it on. And it was just, I found it quite challenging. And then, you know, what do you do with design technology when they're mm. at home, they don't have the tools and so on. So we ended up doing the genius hour and they had to pick a project. And if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. um, and they had to try to work something out that they could do at home. So it worked out okay, but it was super challenging. And then the other thing I had was I was the yearbook teacher. Mm -hmm. This teacher I was subbing for was the yearbook teacher. And so suddenly, okay, how do you put it together a yearbook when no one's together? We don't really have events going on. Well, we don't have events going on. You know, you know, we had pictures for the first half of the year, thank goodness. And we managed to kind of make those spread out and things. And but I had an amazing editor who um, helped, you know, get everything, keep everything on an, on an even keel. Like we even did the, uh, we did the way they did graduation was so cool because they sent every student their cap and gown mm -hmm. and they put it on and they taken. And then my mm -hmm. students, uh, my yearbook kids photoshopped all those kids <laughs> in together with the background of, of the place at school where they normally would take the graduation photo. So my, my, my yearbook staff really, mm. you know, at least the core kids <laughs> really stepped up and did an amazing job of putting together a half decent yearbook actually, which is amazing because I had no clue what I was doing. So uh, the, thankfully, you know, the, the, the kids were good, but I found it just honestly exhausting to be, um, just on the computer all day long. And even, you know, because I was so conscientious, I 
took uh, I took in work from every student every day, which was probably not the best planned social emotionally, mm -hmm. David. Um, <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, it just frustrated me that they were abusing the situation, and so mm -hmm. I I had them just report in of their genius hour, like what did I accomplish today? They made little little videos on a platform called Flip, if you've heard of that, mm -hmm. and um, uh, so they just had to do a little you know, one minute, oh, this is what I did today. So it wasn't huge, but it it was, of course, involved me going and watching them and then holding the kids accountable. Anyway, uh, so I found it quite challenging and I was um, happy when the year ended. Yeah, I'm sure. What yeah. an assignment. You're like, I'm stepping away from full-time teaching. They need a substitute and it's design technology and the yearbook. That is like a big role to fill. And I remember we have a wood shop program at my school and the wood shop teacher's like, I, I'm doing the best I can. They're going to have to use whatever supplies they have at home. And they did the same thing. They made videos and put it on Flipgrid. And it was really frustrating for some of those subjects that were very hands-on and like project-based because there's only so much you can do like on technology and using what you have in your house. And it's not equitable because not everybody has the same resources at their house. So I definitely can connect with that. And I think David too, with you sharing um, particularly early on your first experience being in Hong Kong, um, I think that's what we kind of saw with this pandemic in Asia. They knew how to just lock down right away and kind of like you already had that ability to just like pivot so quickly. Like it was already kind of like, we can do this where I know in America, we're just like, it was just like a struggle. What happened? I mean, <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? And every state's doing it differently. And like my school did a pretty smooth transition to virtual in like about four days. Like we had some PD and then the students came on and then we were virtual all spring of 2020. And then we did hybrid the following year. But you had many public schools in the country that are like, um, we're just sending like workbooks home. And like, you're just like emailing your teacher and like kids were just not doing anything at all. So what a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like we, yeah, we just as a country did not know what to do. I would hope for the next time there's something like this, but it's political too. So it's not just like, oh, we experienced this. So now we know what to do. We're like, no, the next time there's probably gonna even be more pushback about like, no, we're not mm -hmm. locking down and all of that. And I can go mm -hmm. on and on about the politics in America. Um, but you both had different experiences, but I think also like Audrey with you being in Rome, even though it was like a sub position and like all of this, you know, things you had to do I, very similar to like what we saw um, in my school is like trying to hold kids accountable was really difficult and mm -hmm. like not turning on their camera, not turning in their work. And just one thing we did at least in that spring was like, if you do well in that last quarter, we will average it into your grade. If you don't and you really tank, we're stopping at third quarter. I mean, we didn't know what to do. Like that was the mm -hmm. fair thing. I mean, we had we had students who lost family members, you know, it was just like a really difficult time and you had to make some kind of compromise. But it's great to hear that um, you know, worked something out through it. So um getting to our last part and about the work you're doing now, and this kind of goes into my theme of like. Uh, you know, how we could see education in the future, but using kind of this challenge, like we see in America with all these teachers leaving, 
you, um, both Audrey and David, decided to create a podcast, which you're working on, to promote international teaching. So if you want to talk a little bit about how that got started, um, kind of your goals, and any, anything else you want to share about international teaching, uh, we'll start with Audrey. So, yeah, I, I have been thinking about doing a podcast for a while, and it just always excited me. I'm, I'm, I'm a big podcast listener, and so, you know, I hear them, and I think, I kind of think I would like to do something like that. And, you know, but what could I talk about? And then of course the obvious uh, elephant in the room, if you will, is international teaching because I have a lot of experience with it over 30 years. And, um, and then I thought, all right, who, who, you know, I, I don't want to do it myself. Who could I think of as a, as a, as a co-host? And I thought, David, obviously, because mm -hmm. he has done a couple other podcasts before one called shifting our schools. And what was your other one called David? Uh, the, the ed tech co-op the ed tech co-op and so i thought well he's here's a guy with you know ex both international teaching experiences similar to mine and uh with uh podcasting experience so you know hopefully he can um give me a lot of pointers in that in that area and and uh reached out to david and thankfully he was on board and it has worked out really well because both of us are are quite passionate about it and it's such a journey though mm. Jackie I'm sure you experienced some of this too where you know um we're looking at okay you know what topics do we want to cover what guests can we have on and uh and um now mo our most recent thing has been our our cover art for our podcast because we want it to really be catchy uh so there's and oh we are also I'm not sure if you have a website Jackie I do okay and so putting together the website you know my our vision is not to just release podcasts serially. We want to have a bunch of episodes mm. and put them up all at once, kind of like a library. And so you need a flourishing, I guess you could say, or a well-developed uh, website in order to host those. Mm -hmm. And so we've been recording and recording and recording episodes and organizing and thinking about this website mm. that we're putting together. And so it's a, it's a different approach from the, the, the usual uh, but we're getting to the point we're hoping to launch uh, December 1st. Maybe this your podcast here is going to is going to come out after that. But uh, so if anyone is interested, you know, because part of our, I love that you said, Jackie, that uh, international teaching could be a solution for those teachers who are like, I'm so frustrated with the politics in the United States, but I would really like to keep teaching. Teaching internationally could very well be a possible option, an alternative that they that they could take. You know, I, I know teachers are leaving the classroom in droves, mm -hmm. and you know, it, it, there certainly are all the benefits. And I won't say that every teaching um, position internationally is the perfect school, the perfect students, and all of that. But the fact that you are then getting that added adventure in there, and there are a ton of benefits, like David alluded to, like where. Um, you know, you have a foreign income exclusion as far as if you are an American, where you can make up to $112,000 a year and not have to pay taxes. And that, you know, not a lot of teachers making $112,000 no, a year. So it's all good, you know. And like I said, you know, you often will be given either housing or housing allowance. You don't usually get a car. That was a pretty unusual thing. That was Saudi Arabia. Um, but it's just the wonderful adventure that you can get as part of it. You expand your knowledge, like you mentioned, Jackie, that, you know, people see something beyond their, what their, you know, the Kool-Aid, the American, America's the greatest Kool-Aid that they've been drinking all their <laughs> lives or whatever. And, and just get to have a different perspective, see different ways of doing things. You meet people 
from all over the world, including your, your students in your classroom. And it's just a fantastic uh, lifestyle. We love it. We've been doing it a long time and we strongly encourage, you know, anyone who's even thinking about it to, to check out our podcast, <laughs> Educators Going Global and uh, our website, educatorsgoingglobal.com. David, what else do you want to add? So we, we are very mission focused. Uh, in a lot of ways, we're a public service. Um, just as uh, Audrey's saying, we want to get the word out and Audrey's so good with, with communication and words, and we're using the phrase uh, eyes wide open, mm -hmm. because as she was just pointing out, there's a full range of schools and different salary packages, benefits, the nature of teaching kids in one country versus another. So more than ever, one really needs a lot of information. And that's why, as Audrey's saying, we're going to have this more of a library uh, perspective that you can listen on your podcatcher app. But we would say if you're new, you're an American, Canadian, wherever in the world. And, and there, are, um, there are international schools. There are Canadian international schools. They're French. They're German. Uh, so this isn't just for North Americans. That will be our perspective. That's where our information is from. But um, we really want people to be able to come and spend time. And we're going to build community. We're going to use some of the Facebook groups. There's several international focused Facebook groups uh, that people can go and, and share information to, to begin that process. If you want to recruit their agencies that you can work with and their actual coaches, um, we have uh, Jacqueline Malay. She's one of the uh, a person who's like a recruiting coach, kind of a life coach towards going overseas. So you can get that handholding. So there are a lot of pathways going forward. Um, one of the things that I, I, I really can say about international ed, going all the way back to Saudi and Israel and through all these different schools, when it comes to the professional learning uh, so far advanced than what I experienced in the U.S. And I was thinking back to my two podcast partners, Jeff Udick and Mark Hofer. Um, we started in 2007, went for both these podcasts. Jeff has restarted the Shifting Our School podcast. And I would say definitely take a listen to that. Mm -hmm. It's very pedagogically focused, just as our podcasts were. But back then we were talking about understanding by design, universal design for learning, constructivist learning, inquiry, project-based learning. And um, we got together just a few years ago to record a show with Jeff. And he said, what's changed? And we all said, nothing's changed. The things that we were doing all the way back then, uh, Jeff and I as international teachers, Mark is a professor at William & Mary, they haven't changed. They're still there. And, and that just says a lot about the professional learning that you get in working in many of these international schools, not all of them, but uh, there is that focus to say, how can we help you grow as an educator? So I would add that. The other thing back to the podcast, the format, Audrey and I are very organized people. We are teachers and that kind of makes sense. <laughs> so you're gonna find with our podcast, uh, we're gonna have uh, a guiding question, an overarching question uh, at the start of each of the podcasts. And we're going to be very, and we are very pointed in our questions, uh, bringing on subject matter experts, because as much as Audrey and I have a lot of experience internationally, and, and we've worn different hats as educators, we really 
don't know at all. In fact, we don't, we know a reasonable amount about what it means to be an international. We know enough to know we don't know at all. <laughs> exactly. So that's why we're having these content subject uh, matter experts come on and tell us what they know and really help paint that picture. So it's not just for our uh, new people coming to international education, but the Educators Going Global podcast is for veterans and uh, like people at our stage in our careers who are pivoting, whether to finish up uh, our careers at a school closer to the U.S. or pivot out of education into another field. So we're trying to cover the full gambit. I love it. This is wonderful. I'm so excited for your podcast launch and uh, excited to be on your podcast as well. Um, <laughs> yes. I think what you're doing is great and it's very innovative because like David said, it hasn't changed, but a lot of people still don't really know about it. And so I think this is going to be a great resource for those who are maybe looking for something different in education. Um, one just last piece that came to mind when both of you were talking, all the benefits, right? Financially, home, all of that, great schools, great PD, which I think is something we can definitely work on um, in many schools in America, but teacher respect. So a lot of teachers are also leaving, not just because of salary or the challenges of the pandemic, the respect for teachers has gone way down. Um, even before the pandemic, but then that aspirated it. So what have you seen in your countries, the schools you've been in, do you see that the level of teacher respect is higher? Do you see that it's still different depending on where you go to? Like I know my experience in China, there was like teachers were like up here um, and very much respected by families and you know the students. So I don't know if either David I'll, or Audrey. I'll jump in on that one. So you're right, it is kind of where you go and I'm generalizing here, um, but my experience working in a few schools in Asia in general, you go back historically and culturally, teachers are very much held in high esteem. Um, and when I would travel my last post in Vietnam and I'd be meeting with people and I would share that I'm a teacher and you could just, you could just see the physical reaction to, to go, oh, okay, you're, you're a person to be honored, a person to be respected. And so that that really is so important. Um, and that hasn't changed uh, in my experience. And then there are other parts of the world. And it's not, it's not I don't know whether it's a cultural thing or not. It kind of gets into the nature of the school in some places. And here you're, you're working in a private independent school. There it kind of comes down to has the school set it up, set itself up with very firm boundaries with the parent clientele to let the parents know that we're bringing in uh, very good teachers. Our job is to educate your children and we're, we're gonna work in partnership with you. We're gonna do a lot of community-based uh, workshops for parents and we're gonna have good communication. And in the end though, these teachers are highly educated, highly trained, and there's a firm boundary in how far you can come in to question them mm. uh, and to potentially get maybe other parents upset when a teacher has a pretty tough grade scale, for example, you know, that's a minor example. And schools that are in solid position have a good board of directors, and that's big, that's really important overseas. Uh, and a, a strong head of school can quickly bring in those parents, uh, listen to them, and then very firmly let them know uh, the line is here, you are mm -hmm. not to cross it. Um, and, and this is kind of gets back to 
our service is that there are probably plenty of international schools out there, maybe some of them for uh, that are for profit that don't have a board and uh, might just have an owner where there's not a good boundary and, the, and it's kind of a cliche, but the parents run the show. So that's, I'm, hopefully I'm answering your question. Mm -hmm. I can't generalize about all the different cultures and um, societies out there and how they, whether they respect parents, I mean, respect educators or not. Um, but that is kind of the lay of the land. Audrey, what do you think? I think you answered that beautifully. I, I echo what you say. I think that it all comes back to how the school has set itself up, what the culture of the school is. And of course, that is somewhat determined by the the um, the turnover. Some of these schools have really high turnover uh, where, you know, the average tenure of teachers and is a couple of years and the average tenure of uh, tenure of admin is maybe three or four years and that it becomes difficult to get some uh, some momentum forward momentum going but in a school where you've got that nice strong uh, culture of we respect our teachers then yes it can be way better than it might be in a public school say in the United States or Canada uh but yeah, you would. I would say that that is a question that would be a good one to ask someone who is in the school at that time. Is what, mm -hmm. what how well are teachers respected? And uh, you know, you've just given me something to really think about, Jackie. And I think your your show is a great one. The 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 idea of the teacher voice and 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 um, digging into you know what what has happened, where has this shift come from, and and why are teachers getting less respect than they than they did in the past, and um, I think that's an important uh, consideration when someone is, you know, even going overseas, but, you know, any school that you're going to is see if you can find out a little mm. bit about that, yeah. that question, because it is, it's demoralizing because teachers, we don't earn a lot of money, you know, and we don't ask for a lot. We're giving people, but one of the things that, that really, you know, uh, floats our boat or keeps us, keeps us going is, is respect mm -hmm. and gratitude. Uh, for the work that we do, because teachers are some of the hardworking, most hardworking people I know. And um, all we need is a little bit of thanks, a little bit of appreciation. And like you said, a little bit of respect. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really important. Yeah, thank you both. Um, just I was coming to mind because that's a really big issue. And mm -hmm. I think the idea of if anyone's looking to teach abroad to, again, investigate the school and look into the teachers that are there and how they feel respected. Um, but yes, that's been my experience with teaching in China and also teaching in Hawaii. Um, I felt like the cultural, it was very different than like even what I experienced in the Northeast. So um, thank you both so much for being on the teacher story. This has been wonderful. And I will link all of your information about your podcast um, and anything else you want to share with me in the show notes. And I cannot wait for our listeners to hear more about international teaching and go to uh, listen to your podcast when it launches. So thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Jackie, for having us. It's been a pleasure. And to your, to your listeners, um, please come to our uh, website to listen to our recording with you, because mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to dive deep into that topic that you just brought up about mm -hmm. teacher respect and what's happening in the U S and your, your take and listening to so many, uh, of the folks that have come on your podcast, uh, just as Audrey said, you're providing such a service. And as someone, I'm in the U.S. right now, I'm about to fly out in a couple of weeks, but to look at what's happened to the U.S. and just the 
the politicization of what it means to be a teacher and trying to teach in a classroom. It's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So, um, but back to, to this episode, thank you for having us on Jackie and folks come listen to our interview with Jackie. It's going to be a great one. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Bye.